doing i'm gabby welcome to another episode of the happier life project brought to you by free mental health and wellness app my possible self in partnership with the priory healthcare today we are looking at what it means to be a man amongst men in today's society and how living up to cultural generational and societal expectations of how a man should behave and should present which of course have been heavily influenced from the projections of film, the media and social media, puts an enormous strain on a man's mental health. What does it mean to be a real man? And if you don't fit the definition of, what does that make you? Today's guest, Alex Holmes, is an award-winning mental health podcaster, writer, mental health coach, trainee therapist and workshop leader. Alex has spoken extensively on the mental health of men and boys, taking an intersectional approach by looking at the impacts of gender, race, sexuality and ability on our mental well-being. Alex is author of Time to Talk, How Men Think About Love, Belonging and Connection, highlighting some of the main areas men struggle to open up about, whilst debunking masculinity myths and explaining why manning up needs to have a new meaning. Alex is also ambassador for two fantastic organisations, Beyond Equality, who help educate boys on masculinity and prevent gender-based violence. And he also works with leading men's mental health charity, Movember. We've got so much ground to cover in today's topic of conversation, and I really want to give the floor to Alex for as long as possible. So, ready to find a healthier, happier you? Let's get started. Alex Holmes, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I want us to like jump straight in because everybody knows who you are now. And I thought at the start of the episode what we could do is look at the definitions out there of what does it mean to be a real man and then Mm. at the end of the episode I'm going to ask you for your definition this is going to kind of be the through line of the conversation so when I typed into google what does it mean to be a real man um, on the first page, the I'm going to share three definitions that came up. Interestingly, the first one was taken from a dating coach website for men. Okay. Yeah, so get ready. A real man is a man with genuine self-confidence and true masculinity. He is a man who knows his own mind and knows what he's about in life. And he's not afraid to stand up for what he believes in. When a man has these qualities, he has a natural self-assuredness that makes him stand out head and shoulders above other men. And women feel an instinctive sexual attraction towards him because he has what it takes to protect her and provide for her, allowing her to relax into being a woman in the relationship. He knows how to be successful with women because he knows what really attracts women to men. 
He doesn't have to try too hard to get a woman's attention because women automatically sense his confidence and very masculine presence and they work hard to get his attention and be selected by him. And that was the first thing that came up. I'm going to read all three and then ask for your opinion once I've, once I've shared them. The next one comes from the Urban Dictionary where people you know anybody can write this so well i'll see what you think a real man is what young folks might call old-fashioned chivalry is not dead a real man has manners is polite and considerate he is honest and open and true to himself he will fight for and defend the people that he loves he is a hard worker he is not spiteful he respects women and shows appreciation for all of his blessings a real man is the provider of the family. He is strong physically and mentally and is never too proud to exhibit strong emotion. Once committed, he is faithful only to his partner. He does not watch porn <laughs> or disrespect mm -hmm. his partner in any other way. Uh, he helps with housework and is a role model for his children. A real man knows who he is, what he wants, and is grateful for what he has. If you are 25 and living in your parents' basement, you are not a real man. <laughs> okay, and the third one, uh, this is my particular favourite, and it's taken from the Indian Times. Okay. <laughs> a real man does not derive his power from chasing women down streets. He does not need to drink himself silly to feel powerful nor does he need a band of yes-men to boost his morale. A real man does not derive validation from female attention, nor does he derive his sense of power from his politician father. A real man's power resides in his innate values, his sense of balance, intellect, his ability to hold his own in any situation, and his mature handling of relationships. A real man treats a woman as an equal and a partner rather than as an object. A real man is allowed to feel, to emote, to love, to cry and to have his weak moments. A real man is human and like all humans, he can be both strong as well as vulnerable. And that one was written by a female. The other two were written by males. Okay. okay. Yeah. I'm just looking up because I wrote down a definition for myself. Mm. I was using, and I'm just trying to figure out where I put it. But those are really interesting points. What do you think about them? Um, there are some good points, for sure. In 2023, I thought there might have been something more relevant now, considering how much the conversation has opened up. The lady, the journalist in India for the Indian Times, I think, to me, I resonate more with, with that description more than any other um, and it surprised me as well coming from India because I recently came back from nine weeks in India. So I also saw the imbalance between males and females in terms of, you know, how they navigate through culturally and society and, and all of that. Mm. Yeah, what the second one sounds like a bit of a numpty, if I'm honest. <laughs> Yeah, it's Urban Dictionary. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's the Urban Dictionary. But yeah, I mean, I can also share with you that then I went on to, I thought, well, hey, <laughs> let's get back on the Google and ask the same question, but replacing male with female. So when I typed in, what does it mean to be a real woman? The results were a lot less intimidating. Mm. And one line that jumped out at me without even clicking on anything was, a real woman is every woman. So, 
Did you want to share your definition now rather than yeah. at the end? No, yeah, I can, I can share it now. Okay. So, yeah, my whole, I've been working through trying to understand what a wholehearted, mindful, or integrated masculinity would look like. Um, and I've been working with this idea around um, a masculinity that focuses on exploring life in a courageous and compassionate way, trying to, like, because my whole thing is about trying to encourage people to live wholeheartedly, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so the definition that I came up with was one for a mindful man or, quote unquote, a good man. A mindful man is a man who has the capacity to engage with life fully in an authentic, courageous and compassionate way while embracing his imperfections, learning who he is and showing the world who he is in the process. And the reason he does this is because he has the ability to trust, to move into non-judgment, to embrace acceptance, embodies patience, is humble, present and can let go of the things that cause him and others suffering. And the reason that I kind of brought this together was mm -hmm. because for me, I just found that for too long, a lot of men have been hiding in caves and kind of been in the dark for a lot of their lives. And none of them have had the ability, not to say none of them, but typically we've been socially conditioned to not have the ability to talk about the things that are going on with us, to share those things, to really partake in community. And when we hide in a cave, it's dark, it's dark, it's very much covered in darkness. And what that looks like as a metaphor is just a struggle for your mental health, your emotional well-being, your physical, um, and even your spiritual health. And um, this is why I talk about the idea of stepping out of that space mm -hmm. and creating the need for, for help as an imperative. And we need to be able to to learn and understand vulnerability and empathy in a way that isn't, I don't want to say, that isn't debilitating for our masculinity, but also, but kind of adds to it in mm. a sense. So that's, that's where I come from when it comes to a lot of these definitions, because like you, I've read a lot of those definitions and I didn't see myself in any of those things. Yeah. But um, there's room for us to start having conversations about what it means to be a man because we're not actually having that conversation, really. Mm. We're having conversations about what it means to be a woman a lot in the news and in a lot of things. We're having loads of those conversations, but we're not actually having conversations about what it means to be a man. I think that's a conversation that we're kind of skirting around yeah. um, quite a bit. And I, th I find that quite interesting. Mm. So who do we need to call to get your definition on the top of Google searches? Oh, the powers that be. <laughs> I know, right? The powers that be, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's funny because my my book, um, Time to Talk, How Men Think About Love, Belonging and Connection, is centered around six real man myths. And it basically deconstructs <laughs> them in a way to help men actually see that a lot of this stuff is not our individual making but as a collective yeah as yeah as our collective making and there are so many things we're just born into and so many things we just do because we think that it is something that we should be doing right and it's not until we reach a particular point in our life cycle that we start to understand that the way that we were living or the things that we were doing wasn't working and mm. um, some people learn that earlier some people learn that later but it it is something that is learned 
and I think that um, I think we could do better, like you know, do better trying to spend time deconstructing what that means. Mm. Well, you mentioned before about like being in a cave, and it's almost like still that conditioning of acting like a bit of a caveman, which yeah. actually repels, you know, quite a few women and, and as well. But there still, still seems to be perhaps it is because the conversation isn't opened up enough. Um, mm. But and why at this point, Alex? Why is it not opened up enough? I think that the simple. I don't even know if there's a simple answer for this, but one of the answers is misogyny. Mm-hmm. Um, keep the limelight off of men and on women in all areas because women will, you know, if you, once you start policing women and start putting women under a critical gaze and looking at them, like, you know, deeply, you can avoid looking at what it means to be a man because it's something that a lot of men don't know how to answer. And... Mm-hmm. Um, lot of the time it is filled when you do ask a man what a man, what a man is they will list off depending on the generation of man that you're speaking to they will probably lift off very stereotypical things centered around the physical and centered around yep. strength but they're not but and very rarely do they do we talk about things that uh, make us human mm. I think the moment, uh, and I think it's done by that, it's done by design in that way, because the moment men start start looking at themselves as valuable people outside of what they do in the world and, and look at themselves as valuable based on who they are, there will be a drastic change in how the world functions. Um, men are pretty much conditioned to sacrifice their bodies from a very early age in order to prove themselves as being true to their assigned gender whether that be physical combat sports whether that be war and the military whether that be you know going into professions which require huge amounts of physical exertion such as the fire brigade or the police force or um, any sort of role that requires physical, you know, masculine courage, which requires you to go into places where people wouldn't usually go and to do things that people wouldn't usually do. There's a room for there's room for all of this stuff. My concern is more to do with what actually happens when or how do we deal with the the emotional strains of these things um, when we realize that we are no longer robots. <laughs> And we can't just do the things. We can't just do everything. We can't jump as high as we used to. We can't go as low as we used to. We can't mm-hmm. run as fast as we could. And we can't lift as heavy as we used to. And that's just a natural thing that occurs with age. And then as we age, people begin to feel like they're useless and they're put aside. And then they're just kind of ignored until the end of days. And then I think that that's not that's not usually how older people are are typically understood or respected in other communities and cultures they you know they everybody has a purpose and everybody has a place mm. but the way that we see it in the, in our society today is that you know men have a particular purpose up until a particular point women have a particular purpose up until a particular point until they become useless and that is the that is the system that we're in so yeah. i begin to endeavor down that road of what does it mean for us to do and be the people that we know we are Mm. um so asking questions around whether what, what is it like what does it mean to be a man is important 
what is a quote unquote real man is important. The same way, what is a real woman and what is a woman is important. Mm. We need to know and need to understand those questions, but we need to be able to sit down and have those conversations mm. wholeheartedly. I agree. When I was doing my research and I've read it, well, I say when I've read your book, I've listened to your book, I bought it on Audible, but... Um, That's still reading. And, and still, still reading. <laughs> reading with my ears. Uh, mm. <laughs> there's a lot of common themes in terms of areas that both men and women struggle with. Self-esteem, self-worth, self-doubt, fear of failure, intrusive thoughts, imposter syndrome, body issues... Would you say that men are suffering more because they're less likely to talk about it and seek help? Yeah, I generally operate through several obstacles that men experience, right? Um, and one of those obstacles is shame. Now, now, shame is very, very embedded into patriarchal understanding and masculinity itself. If there's no shame, then the patriarchy undoes itself. Shame is there in order to keep people in line and keep people in a particular box to keep them to conform to the standards of what is expected of you in that gender. So if there's a certain, and I think um, a call to men, call this the, the man box, mm. man box culture, right? And it's if you have in this box several rules that men have to follow and adhere to socially and culturally, and they don't happen to abide by one of these rules by choice or by nature or by virtue or, for, or whatever, or by ability or whatever, mm. then you are shamed into feeling less than a man. So now if we look at uh, one of the real man myths with Richard, I don't know how far you are in the book, but one of them is real men don't have any worries or anxieties about their bodies. Mm -hmm. I like so growing up you know you're kind of expected to be not every man is expected to be athletic but you are expected to not necessarily have a care about your body in the mm -hmm. same way that women or girls do right like, men kind of just kind of you know their appearance is not necessarily attached to their worth in the mm -hmm. same way um until they reach you know, peak dating age and they have to start looking at their appearance and they start beginning to feel like what men look for in women, they must look for in themselves. And because there is a lot of there, and you can tell, you can probably tell me whether this is true or not. I mean, I'm not 100% sure whether you're attracted to men or not, but mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff that I'm looking at <laughs> is like women don't necessarily find men attractive in the same way that men look for in women. And, and I found that really interesting because for a long time growing up, I was kind of beating up my body mm. in order for it to look quote unquote attractive mm -hmm. so that women, anybody could find me attractive or I could actually be seen to be attractive to other people. Mm. It's not until I grew older that I realized that that was not necessarily the case. It's, it's down to me and what I look for in myself to allow, that allows me to, my own personal standards for me that allow yeah. me to do that. I think when you're talking about attraction, regardless even of like sexuality, in terms of like body types, then that just varies 
you know person to person doesn't it you know what somebody defines as attractive somebody else might be like no that that's too skinny for me and it it, yeah it does get very exactly Exactly. (laughs) it does get it does get that but you know when you're kind of put into this box of right what it is is, what it is that you're supposed to look for yeah as what it's meant to be attractive yes and you may feel like oh i don't find that attractive but i should Mm-hmm. But if that's the kind of men that people find attractive, I should look like that. Right. Yeah. And 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 I'm and I'm guessing it is the same for women and girls. Yeah. Yeah. Too, you know. Well, I but, feel like I should take that thread and run with it because I did want to get some more insight from the perspective of um, a male. He's a student called Will who's studying in in mental health, and he had some things he wanted me to to ask you to mm. get your opinion on. And when we're talking about the body issue stuff. He said about the expectations in modern body image, striving for Love Island perfection. Mm. And yeah, that's amplified, isn't it? Because they're usually just wearing a bikini or shorts. Yeah, yeah. Love Island's really interesting. I think that I stopped watching it a while ago just because it made me feel bad about myself Mm. in multiple areas, but... One of the areas in for the context of the thread that we're going down is body image. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, would I like at the time I did not feel comfortable like you know going topless or you know being physically present in that way, and then they're consistently working out there and they're doing all these different things, which right. again is that it, which again is not even their fault as individuals. It's just what they do as part of thing, but again it's creating the culture it's creating the understanding of what that looks like i mean this the we're completely we're always shifting the goalposts over generations around what it means to look and feel attractive um to so many different people but mm. i think that for men there has been this kind of unwritten rule or this kind of context of you have to be able to look as if you can defend yourself in order for you to be a strong or be considered a man who is um worthy of calling himself such mm. right which is why when you know when we grow up i mean i'm a millennial we grew up with disney channel and mm-hmm. these different shows and you know they were and we're watching the stereotypes on screen of when people and kids are at high school you've got the popular people who tend to be the girls that look cheerleaders one way, and and the guy and the guys <laughs> yeah. that look one way so the they're popular ones yeah right? yeah and then you've got the the girls that don't look one way and the guys that don't look one way so there's just the alternative girls or the or the, or the geeky guys or the guys who mm-hmm. aren't necessarily outwardly attractive or obviously attractive to um other people mm-hmm. that's telling us stuff as mm-hmm. kids as young people that's actually portraying to some extent yeah. real life but it's telling us stuff like well, how we fit into these things socially yeah yeah it's conditioning um, without us yeah. even realizing it we're just watching a movie or a tv show yeah, that's yeah. for sure and you know and you know if you're you know as a boy you're put into those kind of environments you're put into those sporting environments into those active environments a lot of boys do become frustrated mm. physically and emotionally mm. and you know and we do develop a bit later and girls as well so there are certain things that we're kind of figuring out in different ways 
which all needs to be honored as a part of childhood and understanding what it means as as a developing human right mm. but when you're kind of pushed to those physical pursuits and those sorts of things you're not necessarily looking at how to be internally i think we grow up quite imbalanced things like reading writing introspection is not necessarily seen as something very masculine mm-hmm. um and that's you know that's a kind of a hangover from victorian from the victorian era in a very particular way so if you're not kind of conditioned to do all of that stuff growing up then you you go onto the football pitch you go into these pitches and you know when your team loses you have a tantrum and your tantrum is a big outburst and but people accept men's anger or irritation or annoyance on the field or in those sorts of areas but um if we go back to the body image stuff it's just about us knowing that especially in the chapter that I spoke about it's about reframing how we look at our health and and how and our well-being like yeah. I go to the I go to the gym often and I look and I do it because I want to look after myself mm. the looking good comes as a benefit mm. the looking good to me comes as comes as a benefit but I know that I use that moment to take time for myself, look after myself and keep my body functioning because mm. you know, in order for a body to function, it needs strength, flexibility and cardio work mm. to be able to keep it agile. So, cause I'm thinking when I get to 80, I want to be able to absolutely, you know, you know, just be physically able to do stuff like, you know, and yes, I'll be old, but I want to be able to be like, not kind of put down with loads of different ailments and stuff so it's about balance and understanding why we're doing those things I'm not in the gym or like a lot of people are just because they want to beef up be, <laughs> yeah beef up or be more attractive to somebody else but mm. I, I think first it starts with you really appreciating who you are mm. and then doing that so I think we kind of have it backwards yeah I want to go back to that sort of the self-love side of things and acceptance as well but just mm. staying in body image um because I just I found this kind of interesting it must be actually quite a confu- it's a confusing time for a guy as well because on one hand there's the kind of still that sort of stereotype macho sort of figure that you see a lot in movies and whatnot but then on the other hand, like the beauty business is changing for men and the be- the perception of beauty because there was a number of leading cosmetic surgery procedures for men in the UK in 2021. The most common one was a nose job. Number two was eyelid oh. surgery. Number three was ear correction. Number four was breast reduction. And number five was liposuction. So there's an increase in men actually getting cosmetic surgery as well so especially if you think about something like liposuction and, and breast reduction and things like that it just seems that it must be like really confusing for a guy it's like well how do I navigate all of this because I'm yeah. supposed to be rugged and macho but then I'm also supposed to be like hairless and you know yeah. lean and where was that survey taken where was that uh, it might have been from the Harley it, Street. Well, I'll have to. I'll have to get okay, back yeah, to so you. It's UK. Is it UK? Yeah, it's UK. It's UK yeah. stats. Yeah, from two thousand twenty-one. Pretty sad, but I think. But I do think that uh, with a lot of this stuff, I do think it's important to consider context as well. Like yeah. we don't know why a lot of people are going through this because sometimes it's not just. Uh, yeah, these are aesthetic things, right? Mm-hmm. And I understand it, but you know we have to put into context bullying and bantering mm. um, a lot of the time you know I do um, I know somebody who got ear correction 
surgery because his ears came quite far over when he was younger and he was consistently bullied for it. So he got them corrected. You know, people, you know, want their teeth to be different if they have gaps or if they're not necessarily how they how they like. And it's it, it's trying to meet a standard that yeah that exactly that we're very unsure of where you know where the where the roots are mm. um, but it is rooted in our culture of perfection and what that looks like for mm. you know who kind of gets the attention and who gets that that sort of stuff and this is kind of these are the things that breed incel culture and breed these really um dark areas of masculinity where a lot of men don't feel like they're able or to kind of, and they have this deep anger because they don't feel like they have the ability to kind of be attractive, feel attractive or get the sort of attention that they, that they feel that they should get mm. um, a lot of people because they felt they're made to feel less worthy of themselves. It is a lot. But yeah, those are really, really shocking stats. Yeah. Well, I've got more. <laughs> okay. This is from our partners at the Priory Healthcare, and they asked um, a thousand men about their mental health. So, according to this data, the biggest cause of mental health issues in men's lives are, and it was actually quite close between work pressure and financial issues. They were both at thirty-two percent and thirty-one percent, and then their health was twenty-three percent. 40% said they've never spoken to anybody about their mental health. 29% are too embarrassed to speak about it. 20% say there is a negative stigma on the issue. Is there still a negative stigma, do you think, for men in terms of opening up about their mental health? Is that something that is from generations past that we're kind of still in the, the midst of the aftermath and it's... Yeah. Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And even though it's changing at a micro speed and I'm kind of really pushing for that to kind of change by creating my my programs and my coaching and all that kind of things. It's very, very slow. It's very, very slow because there's so many different things that men just don't have the capacity Mm. to deal with. If you think about, in general, this is not typical for everybody. You know, what I'm saying is a generalization, but it may land for some listeners in some way. But if you think about a child, boy, girl, whatever, there are two ways in which this boy and girl are conditioned growing up. Mm. And I think one of the big, one of the books that... um, that really kind of highlighted this for me. I was aware, but I wasn't necessarily, I wasn't hundred percent aware of what that looked, of what that looked like from the perspective of a, of a man was uh, a book called Lewis and Louise. I don't think, I don't know whether you've heard it, but it basically mm-hmm. follows the protagonist is, it's, like a, it's a dual protagonist where one child is born to these, the same pair these parents, but, on one side of the story, it's a boy, and on one side of the story, it's a girl. So one's born Lewis and one's born Louise. Mm. And the story is told in parallel of one another and of what the expectation and, and, the, and the kind of conditioning and socialization that happened throughout the novel. So all the events that happen are um, are pretty much the same, but they 
interact differently with each of the protagonists with the protagonists they interact differently based on whether they are a man or woman mm-hmm. and, I, and that was really interesting to me but when you have children um like boys and girls boys are very are taught very quickly that their feelings there's no space for their feelings in certain areas um, especially once they reach the ages of 10 11 I think when they're a child, it's pretty much okay, mm-hmm. generally, you know, to have a child who has a tantrum, a child who cries quite a bit, you know, a boy, you know what I mean? But as soon as they start to reach the ages of 10, 11, those sorts of behaviours are kind of, are, you know, generally pushed out of them. They're, they're pushed to, you know, develop a competitive edge. They're pushed to d- develop a certain thing away from um, femininity, away from that. And this kind of socialization I found is it's just really interesting that when as we grow older, if we're saying that, you know, our emotions aren't valuable as boys, we then start to keep secrets, we start to keep things away from people. We start to have these things deep down in us and um and- challenges the way that we connect with um a lot of different with, with our friends and different people, whereas girls um, are generally taught that sharing mm. is important and they learn these things. I and mean, obviously we learn these things from our parents, you know, typically we learn those behaviours about what it means to be a man or a woman. Nowadays, you know, like same-sex relationships, not gender non-conforming relationships or what, and whatnot. Um, I can't speak for those families because I don't know. But, you know, in my family, with regards to, you know, male dad, female mom, it was my sisters would learn something very specific from my mom and I would learn something very specific from my dad. Mm. And that would have been the case for a lot of us growing up. You shared in the book that you you did have struggles as a kid and certainly in your adolescence at that kind of age that you're referring to when, I guess you had your struggles because you were confused by the the messaging versus your authentic self which was developing right yeah the actions Mm. yeah so you kind of live an incongruent life (laughs) you know you feel deeply but you can't show it you think broadly but you can't think too broadly or outside of things and in some ways the freedoms the freedoms that boys and girls have are just so like boys have tend to have external freedom mm. and girls tend to have internal freedom mm. in a sense, in a way, yes. you can correct, correct me if I'm wrong. This is just what I'm observing. Um, so, you know, boys can walk back late at night. They can, you know, do all the things like climb trees and go travel wherever, you know what I mean? People mm. don't tend to quote unquote care generally. Yeah. There's a lot more restrictions being placed on girls based on the society that we live in, but girls actually, tend to form friendships deeper mm. build those connections wider and are able to connect on a on a deeper level than men so when, when we get to men now at this age and they start to you know things start to happen relationships break down career isn't the way that they thought it was going to be struggling with parents struggling as parents not knowing how to be as a husband unlearning a lot of stuff that they thought was actually normal that their parents did Mm -hmm. there's a huge shift and change in a lot of men 
if they are willing to accept and allow this change to happen. Mm. Do you think as well, like, if men formed deeper connections, because you're right, again, I don't want to, like, typecast or anything, but I do think about you want to be in a tribe, right? That's just everybody wants to find their tribe, but sometimes you don't, and I'd imagine more so for guys as well, you don't necessarily find your tribe as in you feel completely at peace with everybody but you kind of put that mask on and you do the bravado and you go down the pub and you drink more than you'd like to because that's what everybody else is doing or you know you get Larry at a football game again I know I'm being stereotypical here but just in in the context of I don't think in terms of from the female perspective the expectation isn't there to to necessarily behave quite in that way in a way that sort of conforms to what's expected, you know, mm. like that way with the lads kind of thing. Yeah, and, and, and that feeds back to the man box understanding mm. mm-hmm. what it means to be a man among men. And as soon as you step out of that space and you start challenging those sorts of behaviours, you're then deemed as a pariah, as somebody who isn't worthy of being in right. this group, which is why we have such huge... Um, issues with homophobia mm. within masculinity within transphobia in masculinity mm. gender non-conforming things of that nature and you know just even if you just dare to challenge some of the ideas some of the behaviors that a lot of men enact or reenact and especially towards women and even more so towards themselves you are then deemed as a traitor or a betrayer or someone that can't be trusted or all of these different things so yeah, there are just a bunch of rules. You go to a football match and that's an acceptable place to cry if your team lose. But <laughs> you cry, but you crying because you can't afford to pay your bills and you're struggling. You're struggling to do that at home and your partner and kids are looking at you thinking, what is it that what 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 can we do? What do we need to do? Tell me what's wrong. And you can't say. Yeah. Because you're just thinking, I've got to just get this sorted. I can't show them weakness. I can't show them anything. You know, like it's the priorities mm. of mm. the thing are all over the gap. And it's these things that I am unlearning and have been unlearning for a while. And I will be unlearning a lot of things as I, as my time continues. Mm. Because there's a whole load of programming. That has been put into me, and you know, I've, and I feel like I've done quite a good job at like, deprogramming myself over time, and you know, going venturing down the career that I'm in as a mental health coach and training as a psychotherapist and working within the field, mm-hmm. and having facilitated men's groups and curating men's groups and working with men, and I'm seeing a lot of men. I've seen where I was back, like you know, five ten years ago, in a lot of men who are coming to me now. Mm-hmm. I'm just like I've been there I've seen what I've seen what it is that you're going through and I've seen where you are coming from and there is a way through that and but uh, unfortunately because a lot of men don't have that I I talked about the obstacles earlier didn't I when I said shame was one of them another one of those obstacles is worthiness and if you start to progress through shame and you know you're completely and you're living in that shame cycle you move through to a feeling of unworthiness and when you start to get to a place of unworthiness and you start feeling that there's no like you have no value and you have no positive contributions to your life or the world and your connections are very shallow and all of these different um areas that are troubling you Mm. when you start to move through that that's when depression and anxiety become 
hooked on at its, at its deepest and darkest moments and that can lead to things like suicide and other just physical manifestations of of the depression and of the stress that can lead to negative thinking patterns that can lead to negative um, coping mechanisms and the like so mm. and leading you towards the depths of despair and I think that that's something that I'm really passionate about helping men not reach that place yeah but yeah. so many men have reached that place of, of of darkness I've reached that place of darkness and I'm not saying only men yeah. get there but if we're talking about contextually if we were talking about specifically in this conversation mm. then yeah it's 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 important it's just the routes to getting there are slightly different mm. with regards to um men oh. women and binary folk and what do you think in terms of, I guess, from your perspective and maybe from some of the other men that you speak to as well, mm. when you're heading towards the darkness, what would have pulled you back? What was lacking in terms of maybe resources or yeah. like think, a safe listening space, perhaps? Yeah. You know what? I think it does start with, if you're somebody who has a very, very, very small internal locus of evaluation right so your inner voice you're in your self-talk right if you've got a very small and unaffirming voice that can't break through when you are going through these dark moments it's going to be very difficult for you to pull yourself out of those moments mm -hmm. um so this is when we require other people to help us mm. bring ourselves into different areas into different spaces right mm. So my whole thing, again, is about helping people develop strength within their, you know, there's a part in the book about, you know, negative and positive self-talk. Mm -hmm. And we, we have to be able to talk to ourselves in better ways and, and begin to affirm that voice in ourselves and get used to hearing us encourage ourselves, champion ourselves, back ourselves. But it's hard because we all come from different backgrounds and different experiences. And our earliest critical voices come from our caregivers. Mm. When we do something wrong, when we do something um, that, that that's not in line or, you know, when we're challenged on who we are and all these different things. And, you know, like, for example, if you do something wrong now, whether you drop something um, and it smashes or you're going back for your fourth or fifth biscuit when you know that you, you know, you think to yourself, oh, I didn't want to go back after the third one but you're going back to the fourth and fifth one typically there's a voice that comes up in you that is either scolding or compassionate mm -hmm. <laughs> and a lot of the time depending on how you're raised that scolding voice is your is your caregiver is your parent is the person who has some sort of emotional power or over you, over you in some particular way mm -hmm. and that kind of builds into your own self critical voice I mean I recognized this once when I was with friends at his birthday and it was like an it's like an Airbnb overnight place or, and we were all kind of just you know catching up enjoying one another's company I think then I think one morning we were having breakfast and there was jam on the table and I think I just said out loud it's like oh I shouldn't really be having jam and they were like why why shouldn't you be having jam and then I just thought I don't even know why I said that out loud number one and then number two, I was like, you know, it's funny because growing up, I was never allowed jam sandwiches. Uh, like, because sandwiches, of the sugar? 
because of the sugar. My mom said it was unhealthy, but my friends all, were always having jam sandwiches at lunchtime, whatnot. But my mom would make me like ham sandwiches or cheese right. sandwiches, corn beef sandwiches. And you're just like, as a child, you're like, oh, this is just like <laughs> whatever. I know that it's nutritionally good now, but yeah. as a as a young person, as a child, you're like, oh, I just want something sweet. I want this is really nice. All well, my friends have it and whatnot. But over time, it just became that kind of thing of like jam is bad, jam is bad, jam is bad when mm. you have it outside of breakfast or outside of these little sorts of things. As you grow older, you start to kind of undo those sorts of um, those things for yourself. So, mm. you know, when you when you get into those dark places, it's those critical voices. And depending how strong they are, you're going to need help from outside of you to kind of help bring you and build your your inner voice or your inner self um, talk up. And then once you become a bit more comfortable with your inner voice and, you know, encouraging and becoming a friend to yourself, then, you know, when it, when you do get to those dark places, it, the, the way back sometimes is easier. Not always, but sometimes. Mm. How much responsibility should women take for these projections on men to feel a certain way? again it's this trickling through isn't it it's generational but like how much are women fanning the flames as well as men i guess it's a question of like some women who have been conditioned in a particular way to you know feel deserving of particular things from men um depending on how they grew up their own experiences in relationships their own experiences as friends and whatnot you know, they project those things onto men the same way that men who had particular experiences with women and growing up in a particular way project those particular experiences onto women. Mm. I think accountability is a mutual one. Mm. I think, but again, because everybody's fighting for power and ground and ownership of something, there's never kind of a submission between the two people or mm. the two the two people within that within a relationship or within um, an environment that allows them to say i understand where you're coming from this is what i'm coming from can you hold what i'm saying and then learn from those particular things because everybody has has a story and everybody and you know everyone's playing into that in some particular way and i think that when it comes to like women you know what they can do to support men in this in this way I would say is just to find a way to help him trust the situation. And, and I guess that does start with those honest conversations and getting and really getting to know one another and not being afraid of going there. Mm. Um, because these conversations are difficult and a lot of men don't even have the reason. A lot of men will just be like, I think I, I did see a stat and they said our oh, 70% of women are the ones that in, in the heterosexual relationship are the ones that initiate divorces or initiate the ending of a relationship and what that says to me is that a lot of men don't have the confidence to end a relationship rather than it being women are consistently being unhappy in a relationship a lot of men aren't necessarily aware or necessarily confident enough to end the relationship when it when it doesn't meet their own needs because we don't speak about the stuff and we don't speak about what mm. is ending and what, what is ending and what and when our needs aren't met so it becomes a one-sided battle and if and you know if you're in a relationship with somebody who is clear about the things that they want and clear about the things that they need but then they're not getting anything back from the other person 
then they are going to reach that point of I do not want to be in this relationship anymore. I am done. I'm right. leaving, and you're going to have to do it. And then you know, men have this thing where they're just like, "Oh, I'm blindsided. I never knew this was coming. You knew it was coming. Yeah, you just didn't want to accept that it was coming." Yeah, I recently had a conversation. Somebody who's you know ended their relationship, and um, he was like, "Oh, do you want to get counselling? Do you want to do all these things?" And she's like. I literally said this last year. I wanted to get counseling. You, you didn't want it. We are here now. Relationships ending. That, that ship has sailed, sort of thing. Mm. So I do think it's a two-way street. I think that there is a way to do it. You know, there needs to be a a give and a take. There needs to be an acceptance of under, an understanding. But men are slightly behind in that area. Yeah, of really understanding who they are <laughs> and having those conversations. So. Again, it's a complex question to answer. So if we notice a man in our, a loved one, a man is shutting down, there's clearly something going on um, because, mm. as you've explained, you know, sharing how, how you're feeling, fears, vulnerabilities, guys don't find very easy. And in terms of supporting them and offering them this compassionate listening space with without judgment where they can feel safe to to talk freely which perhaps is the first step for getting help what do you advise regardless of, of sort of sex if there's a loved male in your life that you know clearly is struggling but isn't opening up about it because I think sometimes as well it, it can be difficult when you know you're not getting anything you're got not getting a response or perhaps it's like that misdirected anger it's about the approach Mm. it's about the approach no one likes to be blindsided and men sure as hell do not like to be humiliated mm -hmm. so um which is a whole separate conversation itself mm -hmm. which is why you know there's a phrase that's like bullying works because it gets people to do stuff you coerce them but it's not helpful in a lot of ways yeah no one likes to be blindsided but it's down to how people approach people when people start to go through like a depressive cycle, they stop doing the things that are joyful to them, the things that they enjoy, right? Mm -hmm. If they read loads, if they read loads because they enjoy it and they haven't picked up a book in a while, you can start looking and thinking, hmm, mm -hmm. what's going on there? But it's all about taking them outside of the environment. I think men are very, kind of, we're very active people. If you said, oh, let's go for a walk or let's do something um, and you go and then you can kind of broach the conversation in a way there I think there's there's loads of different ways to do it but it all depends on the individual it all depends on the individual and depends how much you know them as well mm. um but I I would say for me it's about being as courageous as you can in approaching the conversation it, it's fine to say I've noticed that you are duh, 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 is something going on mm. you can ask that two or three times um, and then there may be an answer, but if there isn't, I wouldn't push it, but I would make them know that I'm there for them mm -hmm. as they need it. And I'll be, and I'll persistently check in mm -hmm. to make sure that, you know, things are, things are going on. Mm -hmm. A lot of men don't necessarily like the attention on them in that way either. Sometimes mm -hmm. they'll just be like, oh, I, I should, again, it's that whole thing. I shouldn't be feeling in this way. And you shouldn't necessarily have to be asking me about how I am because because internally there's this a whole load going on yeah that they can't make sense of right so 
slowly undoing that and being able to build trust again and being able to trust what's happening is a slow process, but um, we can't rush results. Mm. Speaking of courage, there's a line in your book, which I loved. Strength is being brave enough to take action when issues arise. So when we get back to what does it mean to be a real man and the word strength and courage emerge, I think we should reframe that to mean emotionally and mentally rather than what is out of date and is stereotyped, you know, when we're talking more physically in terms of like your firefighters or working out at the gym. So as we're starting to wrap things up, Alex, I ask every guest to set the listeners some homework based on the theme of the episode. So in this case, what is a simple, actionable step that we can take when it comes to supporting men and their mental health? And I guess maybe we've covered that in a little bit um, just now, but that will help us on our mission to building a happier life. For men, I would say get comfortable with venting what is going on with you. Get comfortable with sharing what's happening. If you've had a long day at work, share what went on you've had an issue with one of your friends share what went on obviously and and begin to build that level of discernment where you know who you can trust and kind of like you know you're not just kind of dumping it on the random joe in the coffee shop but you're <laughs> yeah. you're you know you're able to you know you're able to do it with somebody that won't that won't judge you mm. um but for people that are in your life you know if you have a man in your life that you want to connect with um i would say the first thing that came to my mind was be patient. Mm. But sometimes that's very difficult when, you know, it depends on what's at stake. I suppose help him trust. Mm. Help him trust you. Mm. Help him trust that this talking can help. Absolutely. Be able to hold his concerns. And so going full circle to your definition of what does it mean to be a mindful man, could we hear it again? Yeah, um, a mindful man is a man who has the capacity to engage with life fully in an authentic, courageous and compassionate way while embracing his imperfections, learning who he is and showing the world who he is in the process. Love it. Alex, thank you so much. Thank you. For more on you, it's alexholmes.co. Yeah, .co, that's the website um, and you know forward slash book for the book forward slash podcast for the podcast but yep. everything that everything is on there awesome Get access to my newsletter um, you can contact me about coaching or just anything in general really um, through there too yeah and the book time to talk how men think about love belonging connection you can pretty much get from all your usual places whether you want to read it with your eyes or with your ears. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. If you want to hear my voice. Read That's the right, book, exactly. Yeah, go for it. There's a lot, lot of good takeaways for women as well, you know, when you're talking sure. about addressing the, like, the negative thoughts and intrusive thoughts. That's what I mean about the. there are common yeah. grounds, aren't there? What's really interesting is that a lot of women have taken a lot of um, messages from the book as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. And they've passed it on to the men that they want to connect with. So, you know, it's doing what it's supposed to do. It's just opening up that conversation to start having about mental health and for men to find a way to access it. Mm. That is uh, that is healthy. Mm. Yeah, well, thank you for all the great work you're doing in that respect. Not a problem. <laughs>
the labor of love, but we get there. It's Gabby back with you. Thanks again to Alex Holmes and thank you to you for listening to this episode of the Happier Life Project. Just to clarify real quick on the survey, when Alex and I were discussing the rise of male cosmetic surgeries, that survey did come from the Harley Street Clinic in London's website. Um, They linked it to the British Association of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons. So I'm assuming that's where they got their data from. And now for the important housekeeping. If you are suffering with your mental health, there is a crisis button on the My Possible Self app, which will signpost you to the correct information for immediate expert advice. Those of you who are listening on one of the podcast platforms, the My Possible Self app is completely free to download, so you don't need to worry about it costing you anything. The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the interviewer, that's me, and the interviewees. And the content of this podcast should not be considered as a substitute for professional or medical advice. The Priory Healthcare are not involved in the production or content of this podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a review if you found this episode helpful. And to find and follow us on social media, we are at My Possible Self and I've been at Radio Gabby. So please do take care and I'll see you on the next one. Bye for now. <laughs>